You're listening to the message podcast of High Ridge Church Longview, where our vision is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and ultimately make a difference. We are so glad that you're here, and we pray that this message impacts your life as you apply the spiritual truths from God's Word in practical ways. Let's listen in. Morning, church. Man, it is so good to be with you guys this morning. Well, listen, we have a lot of first-time guests here today and a lot of people watching online. So High Ridge Church, can we just give it up for all the first-time guests, all those watching online? Again, thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, if this is your first time, again, you just saw Pastor Tim Ingram on the screen. He is the lead pastor of this location. Um, and my name is Zach Greider. I'm the campus pastor of our Fort Worth location. Um, and so I, I don't know about you, but I often find myself just being super thankful um, to be a part of High Ridge Church and the spiritual family of churches that we have. Um, for those of you that are new, um, High Ridge Church is a family of churches. We have multiple locations with multiple lead pastors at um, each location. And, and I just love that we're a family like that. And so, you know, it's awesome for me to be in, in Fort Worth because sometimes if you don't know this about ministry, ministry can be tough, right? Like people are awesome, and then people are awesome. <laughs> Not all the time. So it gets tough being in ministry. And I just find myself sometimes being so thankful to know that I'm not in this alone. I've got spiritual family in Longview, Texas. I've got family in Graham, Texas, Mineral Wells, Rockland, California. And so it's just awesome to be a part of a spiritual family. And what we have here at High Ridge Church is not normal. And so, again, it's just so great to be here with you guys, um, again, as a family member. So keep Pastor Tim in your prayers. In fact, he's preaching right now, once again, in Mineral Wells as he blessed is the family over there. And again, thank you for having me here with you today. All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter, and we're going to be in chapter 4 today. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, 1 Peter is towards the end. It's a few books removed from Revelation. So if you go to the back of the Bible, move to the left a little bit, you'll come across 1 Peter. And we're going to spend all of our time today in chapter 4. In fact, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 10. And, and really, if I could just summarize the whole reason I'm here today, it would be simply this. My hope today is that I would cause all of you that are here and those that are watching online to take ownership of this church. Um, really, the idea behind this is that what, what's happened in America and is that we've created this consumer mentality when it comes to church. Um, and we've done this with good intentions. Nonetheless, the results have become something that God didn't intend for his church. And here's what I mean by that. What's happening right now in buildings across our country as we speak is that we, we've got a lot of people who are showing up to places where uh, they're greeted with a smile, they, they get some good coffee, they get to hear some awesome worship and hopefully a good message, but nonetheless, we've created this American church where we can show up and consume and never contribute. And really, my, my hope today is that I move us from this consumer mentality to this contributor mentality as Christ followers. And again, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if he's your Lord and Savior, I'm here today to remind you that this is not Tim Ingram's church. This is not the elder's church. This is not the staff's church. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this is your church. In fact, look to the person beside you and say, this is my church. Look to the other person and say, this is my church. Again, I want you to buy into this idea of ownership. In fact, ownership is something that I've been trying to teach my kids. I have three kids. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. And for those of you that have kids, your house probably looks a lot like mine right before bedtime. It looks like a tornado has come through and destroyed it every day without exception. And so what I've been trying to train my kids to do from an early age is this idea of neat, clean, and straight. 
fact, they'll probably have to go through counseling later in life because of this, and they'll probably develop OCD, but nonetheless, I teach them neat, clean, and straight. So every night before bath time, I tell my kids, clean it up, neat, clean, and straight. If it's on the floor, put it. Everything has a place. And for those of you that have kids, if you've ever told your kid to pick up something, you probably got one of two responses, right? One's probably going to be, well, that's not mine. The other response is going to be, well, I didn't put it there. And the way I always respond to my kids was, listen, this is your house too. It is not your mother's job to clean this house. And it sure ain't your daddy's job to clean this house. (laughs) So I'm teaching them this idea of ownership because it is their house. They're a part of that house with us. The same is true for us as believers. This is your house. And again, the reason I'm preaching that this morning is because we have crept into this place of consuming. We show up to church. We choose churches based off of what they can do for us rather than approaching church thinking, man, what can I do for people to serve the Lord? And it's a mentality that we need to change. Now, again, I hope that you're blessed here. I hope that worship blesses you. Man, I hope that you don't fall asleep during my message today. Like, I I hope you get something out of this. Nonetheless, that's not our approach as Christ followers. This is our house. This is our church, and we should take, take ownership of that. Amen? So I'm going to read verse 10 and 11 again. We're going to spend our time in verses 7 through 11, but I'm going to read 10 and 11 because it's really the foundation of the passage that we're going to be learning from today. So let's pick it up in verse 10. It says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that In everything, everyone say everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And to him, not to a pastor, not to a name on a building, not to a staff, not to an individual, but to him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray as we get ready to unpack this passage this morning. Lord, thank you so much for who you are. And God, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. And I pray today that you would use my voice to build and encourage your people. Help us become the men and the women you have called us to be for your glory and for your namesake. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Back in 2003, the company Under Armour uh, was a new company, a young company that was just, just now coming into the scene of athletic performance. So back in 2003, the leaders came together and they really asked themselves the question, man, how are we going to market ourselves? I mean, because we're, we're up against Nike, we're up against Adidas, and we're a new company, we're a young company, and we really need to stand out. So how are we going to do this? And they were really nervous about it because back in 2003, their marketing budget was only $500,000. Now, that sounds like a lot of money to you and I, but as of today, Under Armour's marketing budget is about $500 million. So nonetheless, they felt like the odds were stacked against us, man. Again, how are we gonna, how are we gonna outshine Nike? How are we gonna outshine Adidas? And in this collaboration, they really came to this idea that they wanted to be real and authentic to who they are. And they wanted to put a commercial together that would show that, that would stand out and that was different than what Nike and Adidas was doing. And so after this collaboration, they came up with a 30-second commercial that launched in 2003. And this launched the anthem of Under Armour, which was simply this, protect this house. In fact, I was going to show you that commercial today, but I figured for all the athletes in the room, it gets you way too hype and you wouldn't pay attention for the rest of the message. Protect this house. When I think about what the Bible says about God's church, 
When I think about what the Bible says about us and our interaction with the bride of Christ, which is the church, I can't think of a better message title than that. Protect this house. And so today, as we dig into this passage, as we go on this journey to asking the question, man, what does ownership look like? I want us to ask that question, man, how do we protect God's family? How do we protect this house that God has placed us in? And again, the the reason I wanna get you to this idea of ownership is because if you believe that there's a God, then you have to believe that he's sovereign, which means that in eternity past, for whatever reason, in his wisdom, God decided that in this point in time in history and in your life, that you would be in this building and a part of this local church. So God has placed you into this church and to be a part of it. And so we should approach it with this idea of taking ownership and understanding that this is our house and we must be willing to protect this house. Amen? So this is what we're gonna be looking at in 1 Peter. Now, before we dig into these verses, I wanna give you some context to what's happening and, and why Peter is writing this letter. Now, sidebar here, let me talk a little bit about context. When it comes to reading the Bible, context matters. Listen to me, friend. We are not supposed to approach the Bible and ask the question, man, what does this verse mean to me? That is not how we need to approach the Bible. In fact, that is a postmodern mentality. Uh, Just to summarize what postmodernism is, it's this idea that truth is relative. Postmodernism is, hey, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And the problem is, is that mentality has worked its way into the church and how we approach the Bible. That is not how we read the Bible. When we approach the Bible, our job is to ask the question, what does the Holy Spirit mean by this and how does it apply to my life? And the problem is, friend, if we approach the Bible, what does this mean to me, man? We can get way off of what God intended for our life. When the Holy Spirit wrote the scriptures, he knew exactly what he meant and intended for us, even in 2022. And that's what we're searching for. So listen, again, this has nothing to do with the message. Let me just give you some encouragement. If you're like, man, Pastor Zach, I want that. I wanna know what the Bible says, but I'm intimidated by it. I don't know how to read it. I don't have a seminary degree. Listen, I'll give you a real simple step. You need to buy yourself a study Bible. There are multiple study Bibles out there. I would recommend the ESV study Bible. In fact, I would recommend that you buy it on your phone because you always have your phone with you and that gives you access. If you're sitting in a message and you listen to a pastor preach and you have questions about the passage he's teaching, a study Bible is great. By the way, can I remind you that you're not just supposed to take what a pastor says, you're supposed to put it up against scripture to make sure we're, we're preaching the truth. We've got a whole generation that's been listening to great communicators and those things that the communicators are saying despite their intentions aren't aligning with scripture. Test it, check it, and you have to know how to read the Bible. Get you a study Bible. So again, I would encourage you to get on your phone or you can go buy a hard copy. Just know that it's about this thick. You could kill somebody with it if you hit them, all right? So just make that decision. Listen, here's why I'm telling you this. Millennials and Gen Zers in the room, listen to me. How we approach the Bible matters. The Bible is for you, it is for me. It guides us in God's will and his plan for our life. But if we approach it the wrong way, we will find something totally different than what God God desires for us. And the reason I'm also telling you this is because right now, since the Bible has been in print, we are the most biblically illiterate generation of all time. And yet we have more resources than any generation before us. So listen, I know it can be intimidating. I just wanna encourage you with this, you can do it. I'm spending my life doing it. You can find the truth. You can know what God says about you, what he says about himself. We can know who he is because he's revealed himself. But if we approach scripture wrong, we'll miss it. 
get a study Bible and be faithful to the text in determining what the context is so that you can find the truth that applies to your life. Amen. All right. So let's move on to the next one. Let's get, get into the Bible. Let me set up some context of what's happening here. So this is Peter who wrote this, called First Peter. He wrote the letter. This was a letter that he wrote to Christians in Rome. This is the same Peter that we hear about in Jesus' time. In fact, he's known as the chief disciple. He was Jesus' like right-hand boy. And if you guys remember the story, uh, Peter actually denies Jesus three times. And after denying Jesus three times and after Jesus was crucified, Peter was extremely discouraged. In fact, he goes and goes back to fishing. Well, him and Jesus reconciled that relationship. And so here's what's cool about this. This is the same guy who was extremely discouraged because he let Jesus down. And now we find him writing a letter to other Christians who are experiencing discouragement and he's encouraging them. And the reason he's writing this letter, here's the context, is because the Christians that, he, that were living in Rome during this time, they were experiencing persecution. So here's what was happening. The government and culture was putting a lot of pressure on the Christians then because they simply loved Jesus and wanted to follow him. So a lot of them were losing their jobs. They were experiencing physical and verbal abuse. Some of them um, were losing family members, relationships. So all this pressure was happening in Rome with the Christians at that time. Again, the culture and the government was putting pressure on them simply because they loved Jesus. Sound familiar? I can't think of a better book in the Bible to preach from right now versus what we're experiencing as Christians in America than this one, because we have a lot to relate to when it comes to these people. And again, when you understand context, now the words that we're going to read from Peter will carry a lot more weight when you understand the situation that they're facing, right? So let's pick it up in verse seven. Again, we're going to work through seven through 11, and we'll stop along the way to pull out what we can apply to our life today. Verse seven, here's what it says. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, by the way, when you find therefore in your Bible, you need to pause and really pay attention to what was just said there before. So he's saying, because the end of all things is at hand, therefore we should be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want you to write down today is this. As Christians, as Christ followers, we should be on point. We should live a life on mission. And so what Peter says here, again, remember their context, they're suffering, they're losing their job, they're being persecuted. He's saying, listen, because of the end of all things is at hand, here, here's what he's pointing out. He's not saying that the, the end of the world is gonna happen tomorrow or the next week or the next month. Instead, what he's reminding the Christians of is that according to the Bible, everything that needs to happen before the end has happened. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And according to the Bible, when those things would happen, those were signs that once those things had happened and were complete, then we know the next thing to happen is for Jesus to come back for his church. Can I remind you to mourn, this morning that Jesus is coming back for us? But we know this because he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is alive. We do not worship a dead God, we worship a living God. And that living God is coming back for his people. And so Peter here is writing to these Christians who are being persecuted and he's saying, listen, don't forget the end of all things is at hand. One day Jesus is coming back for you. And because that's a reality, everything you do in your life matters. The way that you live your life as a Christ follower matters. Hey friend, everything we do in this church matters. It matters. The way we greet people at the door 
our tech team, our worship team, our kids team, our youth team, everything we do in this building that represents Jesus, it matters. It is setting the tone and the foundation for the gospel. Everything we do as a church, it matters. And the reason I'm reminding you of that is because for a lot of us who spend time in church, we forget that. In fact, human nature is to engage in something. The more you engage with it, the more it just becomes mundane and you become numb to the little things and you forget that they matter. And so again, today I'm trying to change your perspective and get you back into this place of ownership. Let me tell you something. What's happening over there in the kids' wing right now as we talk, it matters. They are not babysitting your children right now or my children. They're over there teaching our kids that there is a God, that he's good, he loves them, and he has a plan for their life. And what better message for kids to hear in this day and age than that right there? What happens in this room on a Wednesday night with teenagers, it matters. Let me tell you why. There are teenagers who walk in these doors who have never been told that they matter, never been told that God loves them. They're struggling with anxiety and depression. Some have even thought about suicide. What happens in this room on Wednesday is not just creating a fun atmosphere for them to escape their parents and hang out with their friends. It's creating a place where they can be told that God loves them, has a plan, and wants to do something with their life. What happens in this room matters. Everything that we do as a church it matters. It matters, man. And again, sometimes we show up to church. A lot of us, and listen, I've been guilty of this. We show up to church and we take these things for granted. And we show up on Sunday to consume rather than contribute. And I'm here today to remind you that everything we do even if you're not on the volunteer team, even if you don't serve, if you are a Christ follower, everything that we do when we show up to this building on weekends or every event or anything that we do as a spiritual family, man, it matters. In fact, again, Peter here is trying to remind the Christians that the way they interact, the way they respond to the government, the way they respond to culture, listen, it matters because we are ambassadors of Christ and we represent him. What we do matters. Therefore, we should live on point. We should live a life on mission, even when we show up to church. Again, I hope that you receive. I hope you're encouraged. I hope these things happen to you, but we don't just show up to consume. We show up to contribute. Amen? Let's continue and see what he says. Verse eight. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to underline that word, circle it, put a star by it, highlight it, whatever you do, circle it, because we're gonna come back to it. Show hospitality to one another without, give me that last word, grumbling. Without grumbling. Again, if you're taking notes, write this down. Love covers offenses. Now think about this. Let's go back to context. The Christians are being persecuted. They're suffering. They're questioning their faith. They're wondering, do they even want to continue to follow this Jesus? Because they're asking themselves a the question, is it worth it? Is it worth the persecution and the trial and tribulations that I'm going through? And Peter says, he could have gave them all this self-help advice. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to read this book. You need to try this leadership. He could have done all that, but instead he simply does this. Above all else, love one another. Why does he do this? Because Peter understands that when pressure comes against us, it causes us to do two things. One, it causes us to lose sight of what's most important, and that's Jesus. And secondly, it causes us to fight with one another and allow division to come in. Because see, that's how the enemy attacks. The enemy wants to divide you and your marriage. The enemy wants to divide you between you and your friends, you and your children, you and this church, because if he can divide, he can isolate. And if he can isolate, 
he can attack. And what Peter's saying here is, listen, I know you've got a lot of pressure coming from the outside, from the government, from culture, but listen, above all else, love one another earnestly. Don't forget to fight for unity. Everyone say unity. Unity matters. It matters to God. In fact, if you study the New Testament, you'll see that unity was one of the prevailing themes that the Apostle Paul writes about. Because again, the enemy wants to cause division. So how do we fight for unity? We continue to love one another. Why? Because as he says, love covers a multitude of sins. I don't know if you've spent a whole lot of time in church, but the more time you, find, you spend in church, you're gonna find there are lots of opportunities to experience offenses. At some point, somebody's gonna look at you the wrong way. At church, at some point, someone's gonna say something to hurt your feelings. At some point, someone's gonna sit in your seat. Listen, if you spend enough time in church, you're going to experience an offense, but that's not just with church, that's with any relationship in your life. Why? Because you're dealing with human beings. If you've got a best friend in your life, I guarantee you've offended each other at some point. If you're married, you've for sure offended each other, possibly daily. If you have children, they're always offending you. Like, this is just human nature. And it happens within the church as well. Peter understood that. So he says, listen, love one another despite the offenses. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. In fact, I say this all the time. Um, we need to choose relationship over issues. Now, not relationship over truth, but relationship over issues. Listen, if you've spent any amount of time in church, you've seen people get offended at the smallest things. Well, they don't go to that church any longer because they changed how they did worship. They don't go to that church over there because they have too much smoke coming out of the ceiling. They don't go to that church over there because the pastor's not funny enough. They don't go to church over there because someone sat in their seat. We see this happen often. And I'm not saying those aren't offenses. What I'm saying is we can experience offense and choose not to be offended. You realize to be offended means you're choosing to live in the offense. But when we choose relationship over issues, we're willing to say, listen, I don't know why they did that. It doesn't make what they did okay, but I'm gonna choose relationship over issues. You know why? Because Jesus does that, does that to us daily, doesn't he? Often do we choose at times to sin against him knowing what he's done for us. And yet Jesus still chooses us. We choose relationship over issues. So love one another, above all else, love one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sin. And then he goes in verse, eight, or verse nine to say, show hospitality. You know what hospitality means? It's really simple. It means to be friendly to strangers. That's what hospitality is. Not friendly to your loved ones, friendly to strangers. In fact, this is why that term is used when it's talking about hosting people in your home. You need to be hospitable. You need to show hospitality when people visit your home. You're being friendly to strangers. Hey, can I just tell you this? Um, this month, August, is the second highest attended month of the year for churches. January is number one. August is number two. Why? Because August is a transition month. We're going from summer. People are going back into schools. When people are looking for churches or they're moving or they wanna change things up in their life, this is the time of year where they go and check out churches. So what does that mean for us? That means even today, we're gonna have a lot of strangers show up to this building. We're gonna have a lot of new people come through this building over the next few weeks and we're gonna have a lot of new students show up on Wednesday night. And listen to me, friend, how we treat them matters. It matters. And again, for all the church people in the room, I'm here to remind you of ownership because we forget how intimidating it can be to show up to a church for the first time. And the last thing we need is someone misrepresenting Jesus and treating them wrong. 
because it can absolutely have a negative outcome. In fact, I've experienced this in my own life. A couple of years ago, I went and preached at a really large Southern Baptist church in, in Louisiana, and I was speaking at their men's event. And so they asked me to come on Sunday because they wanted to promote the event. They wanted to announce who I was, all that good stuff. And so I, I went by myself and I showed up and I got some coffee and I wasn't sure of the rules. Like, could I take the coffee in the sanctuary or not? You know, Southern Baptists, they got all kinds of rules. I wasn't sure. So I was like, I'll just sit out in the lobby, right? Love Southern Baptists. I'm a Southern, you know, that's my heritage. Nonetheless, I didn't know the rules. So I was like, well, I'll just sit out in the lobby, drink my coffee. And when I'm done, I'll go in the sanctuary and I'll just people watch. I love people watching. So I'm sitting in the lobby by myself, a young man drinking my coffee. I got a smile on my face. I'm just watching people. And the next thing I know, there's a, an older lady in a wheelchair who comes and does a drive-by on me. I'm drinking my coffee. I'm smiling at her, just minding my own business all by myself. She drives by close enough, rolls by close enough, and she says this out loud, Psst, young people think they can bring coffee into the Lord's house. And I thought, <laughs> joke's on you. They're using your tithe money to pay me to be here. So like, <laughs> joke's on you. <laughs> That's not a good thought, guys. I'm just being honest with you, all right? I ask for forgiveness. No filter. But what if it wasn't me? What, what if it wasn't a pastor sitting there who loves Jesus, who's in love with Jesus, who's wrestled with his faith and, and has come to the conclusion that he believes in Jesus and loves him, is gonna pursue him no matter what. What if it wasn't me? What if I was just a young guy that was there whose wife had left him, who had lost a child and was at the end of, of my wits, ready to give up on life, and the last place I knew to go was a church to try to, to connect with a God? And that was my first interaction. I hadn't seen the worship yet. I hadn't experienced the word. I hadn't met a staff member. That was my first interaction. Now, Lord bless her and I forgive her. But my point is this, how many of those interactions happen in our churches because we have people showing up that aren't taking full ownership and being hospitable to strangers? Can I just tell you, it matters. It matters, and again, I'm here. Like, I felt convicted when I put this message together because I'm like, when is the last time I walked into a church with the eyes of a first-time guest? We don't know what people are walking in here with. We are the only spiritual hospital in this world. Do you realize that? We are a place for those who are spiritually sick. And how we treat them when they show up, it matters. So listen, maybe you're not on the volunteer team. Maybe you're not a greeter. Maybe you don't have time to be on our volunteer team. If you do, we'd love to have you. Nonetheless, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you ever step foot in a Christian church, you need to take ownership of that place and be on mission. How do you be on mission? You treat people well. Because again, you've heard this and it is kind of a cheesy saying, but it's such a good one. For a lot of people, you're the only Bible they're gonna read. Think about that for a moment. There's a little bit of weight to that, isn't it? This is why scripture says we are ambassadors of Christ. Again, you know what that means? You don't represent you anymore. You represent Jesus. What you say on social media, how you treat people when they show up to a church, despite how you feel, you represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We live on mission, understanding we are to be on point and our love covers offenses. How we treat them matters. We are to be hospitable, amen? Let's continue. Verse 10, he goes on to say, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards, that's another word I want you to circle or underline, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God and whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Number three, serving others is how we serve Jesus. Serving others 
is how we serve Jesus. Remember, context, persecution, pressure from culture, from the government. So here's what can happen when pressure comes on us as believers. Listen to this. As soon as we have stress in our life, we start focusing on us and we stop focusing on other people. When pressure comes on us as believers, we get really selfish really quickly. And what Peter is reminding these Christians of, listen, in the midst of this pressure, in the midst of this stress and anxiety that you're experiencing, continue to love one another and use the gifts that God has given you to serve one another. Hey, let, let me remind you of this, Christian. At the moment that you gave your life to Jesus, at the moment that you turned from doing life your way and started doing God, life God's way, the moment you said yes to Jesus, God deposited his spirit within you. In fact, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, here's the good news about that. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we get the ability to be who God's called us to be. Can I also remind you today that it is not on you to become the man or the woman that God's called you to be. It's just simply on you to surrender to the spirit that lives within you and allow him to lead and guide you in all things of the Lord. Yet we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that we are to steward this gift that God has given us. So not only did he deposit his spirit within you at the moment you said yes to Jesus, he also placed a gift or a talent within you. And according to the Bible, every single person who is a Christ follower, you have a spiritual gift. You have a talent that God has given you. Not only has he given you that gift or talent, he wants to anoint that for the building up and edification of other people and for his glory. And so he says, we are to steward that gift or that talent. If you go back and you study Greek culture, which again, if you're new to church, that's when the New Testament was written, was during Greek times, Greek culture. This word steward, if you go study it in its context, it was a term that was used to describe someone who is responsible for taking care of someone else's house. So the title of this person would be like chief house manager. That'd be the title. So imagine your home, you, you love and trust someone enough to allow them to take care of your house for you. Take care of the garden, the responsibilities in the house, all the things that come with it. But not only that, you also have entrusted them with the most valuable things within your home, your treasures. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that every single one of you here today and watching online, I bet you have one thing in your life that you would consider the most valuable thing that you own. Now, imagine trusting someone enough to steward that, to protect that, to use that on your behalf. So here's what God is saying. Hey, listen to me, friend. I love you enough. I trust you enough to give you a part of who I am, to place within you a gift and a talent that is gonna be used to represent me and bring glory to my name. And Peter says, we are to steward those things everything that God has given to you, he has entrusted to you to steward on his behalf. That's how much he loves you and that's how much he trusts you. Now the question becomes, are we stewarding those things well and for his glory? Because we need to be reminded today, again, consumer versus contributor. When you said yes to Jesus, you became someone who was gonna serve people to glorify God. In fact, Jesus exemplifies that for, him, for us himself. It says in Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the son of man, even Jesus 
came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about this, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. The word became flesh. The one who spoke the universe into existence, Jesus steps into his creation and doesn't ask creation to serve him, but instead goes and serves creation by giving his life as a ransom on the cross for us. And so when we say yes to him, we say yes to a life that is devoted to sacrifice and serving people because as we serve people, we serve him and we glorify him. In fact, that's what all this is about. All of this is about glorifying him. Again, Peter finishes this passage in verse 11 with that very thought. It says, in order that in everything, the way that we greet, the way we lead worship, the way that we preach, the way we invest in kids, the way that we love teenagers, the way that we shake hands, the way that we smile people, smile at people, so that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because to him and to him alone belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here's my challenge for all the Christians here today and watching online. It's time for us to turn away from the consumer mentality that has crept into the American church. And it's time for us to get back to being contributors for the glory of Jesus Christ. When you show up on Sunday, when you come on Wednesday, when you show up to a church event, show up on mission. In fact, here's the prayer that I would ask you to start praying every time before you show up to church. God, Use me today to bless someone. I know it sounds simple, but start there. Use me today to bless someone. You know how many testimonies I've heard from people who came to church for the first time and they just encountered someone with a smile. Someone invited them to sit with them. Someone gave their seat up for them. There was some sort of interaction that had nothing to do with the pastor, had nothing to do with worship, had nothing to do with the preaching. It was the interaction that happened with another fellow believer that opened up the doors for the gospel to make an impact on that person's life. Show up on mission, despite how you feel. Because how we treat people, it matters. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you today. Lord, thank you so much for your word, God. And thank you for the words of Peter. God, I pray for all of us that are here today and those that are watching online, that as we contemplate who we are and who you've called us to be, as we think about our relationship and our pursuit of you. God, I pray that you would stir passion within us. I pray that we would live a life of compassion as we represent you well, as we love people well, and as we experience pressure in our jobs and in our schools and our, from our relationships and God, from culture and from the government, all the pressures that we have around our life. God, I just pray I pray that we would stay focused on you. I pray that we would stay focused on loving one another and using our gifts, using our talents to no longer be consumers, but to begin being contributors for your glory and for your namesake. God, I pray for every first time guest that joins us online, that walks into these doors over the next few weeks. God, and across our country, people who are looking for a spiritual hospital, God, my prayer is that they would encounter your sons and your daughters with such love and hospitality 
that they're able to receive from worship, they're able to receive from your word, and that leads to a life change for them. Use us to live a life on mission for your glory and for your namesake. Use us, Lord. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, one more prayer for you today before we move on. Maybe you're here today and the truth is like you've, you know all about Jesus, but you've actually never surrendered to a life-changing relationship with him. You know all about church. You've experienced good church. You've experienced bad church, but really the foundation of your faith is not a relationship with Jesus. And right now you feel the Holy Spirit doing something new and different in you. It's almost like a pulling or a drawing that you're experiencing right now. Well, friend, that just means that the Holy Spirit wants to bring you into a relationship with your creator. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And I wanna encourage you to pray with me quietly to yourself. Now, this is not a formula. This is not a magical prayer. In fact, you can use your own words if you'd like. What we're doing in this moment is we're surrendering our life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if you wanna do that, friend, and you're serious about it. If you wanna go all in with Jesus, I wanna encourage you to pray with me quietly to yourself. And this goes for those that are watching online as well. You can join me. So if that's you, friend, just pray with me quietly to yourself. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And God, I know I've messed up. And God, I wanna ask you to forgive me of my sins and my mistakes. And right now, God, I wanna turn from doing life my way and I wanna start doing life your way. And Jesus, I wanna invite you into my heart and into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. And I wanna thank you, Jesus. I wanna thank you for dying on the cross for me, for conquering sin and death, and for just now hearing my prayer. Thank you, Lord. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, there are some of you here today and some watching online that you just prayed that prayer with me. I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you or anything like that. I just wanna celebrate your decision. And so with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you just prayed with me, would you just lift up your hand real quick? Just those that prayed. No one else looking up, no one looking around. Just those that prayed. Awesome, got you guys in the back. Awesome. Just those that prayed. You can just lift up your hand. Awesome. With heads bowed and eyes closed, those of you that prayed with me, would you just look up at me for just a moment? Just those that prayed. Man, I'm, I'm so excited for you. This is just the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And as your spiritual family, we wanna help you on the journey that you're starting today. This is not the finish line, it's the starting line. And we wanna walk with you on this journey. So here's what I would love for you to do. You'll see a number here on the screen and you can actually just text, I prayed to that number on the screen. Here's why, one of our team members wanna reach out. And again, we wanna help you take your next step in your relationship with the Lord. Again, man, I'm so, so excited for you guys. Well, hey, church, can we give it up for those that took a step towards Christ? Show them some love. We love you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening in today. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by the message. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review wherever you're listening. If you want to be a part of our online community, connect with us through Facebook or Instagram with the handle at HighRidgeLV or you can check out our website at highridgelv.com. Lastly, if this ministry has impacted your life and you'd like to support its work, visit highridgelv.com give. We appreciate your support and we're believing with you today for God's best in your life. Have an incredible week and we will see you next time.